Welcome to the Boiler Podcast, brought to you by Selenis, providing tools to build your expertise and customer value. Today's podcast features a safety moment regarding the improper delivery of product. It also features Bryce Mason, who is discussing demineralizers within a pulp and paper mill. Welcome to Pulp and Paper University. Uh, appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, as always, we have a fantastic show and lineup for you today. Um, want to mention that we're recording this. The, the video will be available later on Acumen and on the SharePoint site, as always. Uh, Bryce Mason has been kind enough to step up and handle not only the safety portion of the show, but the technical presentation as well. And uh, then, as we as we said, Andrew Ledley is going to back clean up for us. So, Bryce, you can take it away whenever you're ready, buddy. All right, I'll go ahead and get started here. Um, so, the safety moment we have today is uh, kind of a review of an incident we had here at Nippon um, that we uh, talked about uh, probably about a month ago. Um, on this call, and this is kind of the follow-up action items up. But um, so, what actually happened was we had a wrong chemical into the wrong tank delivery. Um, it was on the uh, pulp and paper side, um, so you may not recognize some of the chemical names here. But uh, we had a load of soyad get delivered into a load of a tank that was supposed to be Aquapel 650. Um, luckily, there was no exothermic reaction or, or anything that generated some off-gas that created an issue out at the site. And um, the truck driver noted it and reported it almost immediately after he had unloaded it. So we were able to isolate it and keep it into a single tank. But kind of the steps into the, initial, uh, the investigation that happened was uh, at the plant nearby. We had loaded up three trailers for delivery um, on the 27th. Uh, the next day, we were supposed to send one to another customer, one up for the north, and one was supposed to come to us. Um, due to some mix-ups at the plant, um, and, and you can read through here. They, uh, one of the drivers basically went to the wrong tractor trailer, hooked it up, and drove up with the wrong or with the correct BOL. So his BOL and his weight ticket said Aquapel 650, what they were expecting to get delivered. But the tractor trailer number was off by one, so it was actually loaded with SOYAD. Um, Part of the unload procedure at the gate as it comes into this customer is they're supposed to check the tractor trailer number um, versus what the uh, BOL says. And that either did not happen or did not get noticed in this case. Um, there's also supposed to be another check as it comes to the unload point where the uh, operator verifies that the trailer number is the same as the BOL. Um, since those things did not happen, we had a lo the load get delivered into the bulk storage tank. 
Um, what ended up happening is we had to isolate that tank. Luckily, there was two tanks. Um, and then they ran off the uh, the first tank or the second tank there as their uh, primary for the skiff or for the paper machine and uh, just had to schedule deliveries around that. It took them probably about a week and a half to two weeks to get the problem completely cleaned up. So we couldn't just pump the tank out and dispose of it because it was a new product. It had to have a waste profile generated in order to get any of it pumped out and shipped away. Um, so I know our group was working pretty extensively with the customer's environmental group to make that happen and approved. And then we had to get a local cleaning contractor actually in to drain, clean the tank, and transport to a disposal site. Um, so it's a pretty extensive process if you have something like this happen. Um, some takeaways, some corrective actions. Uh, so all bulk loads coming out of that site now have zip ties to the outlet valve. We'd been doing this on the um, ProServe loads to help identify which loads are which, but not on the bulk loads out of this plant site. Um, so that's been a positive, another double check just to say, hey, is this the correct product? And then the truck drivers from that uh, site are also doing a small load inspection sheet, just making sure that everything matches up on the uh, numbers for the trailer, the tractor, and the uh, BOLs. So anybody have any questions for this? Comments? What was the, uh, what was it? What was the customer's uh, reaction to all this? Uh, not pleased. I mean, no surprise there. Um, they were working with us. You know, their environmental group was part of helping get everything lined out. Um, even more unfortunately, this happened during our business review. We were in the business review when they unloaded this truck. Um, so that made it even a little worse so Bryce uh, you're going to talk about demineralizers here and uh, go ahead and yes start whenever you're ready all right so I uh, a value-added project that we're working on um, at a customer site is helping them with their demineralizer optimization um, I've helped out with a couple of these projects, uh, both in this role and in uh, my previous life. Uh, specifically in pulp and paper mills, seems to be the demons get uh, neglected pretty substantially. Um, you know, a lot of your common problem statements that you end up hearing, you know, must have had a bad region, this train always breaks early, you know, we, we've got cheap resin in, that's why it doesn't work well. Uh, I don't know if anyone else at their customer site gets to hear about how we almost ran out of demon water again last night. Just very common problem statements that really is from a, a lack of understanding and uh, focus on the problems. 
Scott. No, I was just going to jump in and just say this is, a, in my opinion, a, a very good opportunity to demonstrate value here because, you know, generally we don't have chemistry on the demons themselves, but like what you were talking about, what, what you see a lot in pulp and paper mills is uh, not only the operators, but the area managers that are responsible for this unit op. They tend to look at these things like uh, like a black box and and don't have a very good understanding of what's really going on there and and how everything works and and again it, it's a good opportunity for us to demonstrate technical ability and, and value by by understanding yeah so kind of rolling off yeah rolling off what Scott's saying here you know people aren't paying attention to these, you know, they, I don't know if anyone at your customer sites is monitoring run life out of a demon flow rates, pressure jobs, you know, all these basic things, but there's some significant financial implications to really get your name out there to the mill. Um, knowing a few things, uh, you know, some caustic acid price, you should be able to get those commodity prices. Again, like Scott said, we're, there's no chemistry we really have here with the exception of a D-chlor going into it. Um, getting those commodity prices and being able to help them calculate how much a regeneration costs and how often those regenerations are being completed to give them a spend they have down in the demineralizers, that's going to get some immediate focus on the area. I don't think enough people really understand the uh, financial costs that are going on just in day-to-day -day operation down there. And then if, uh, if we have a uh, dollars per MPPH of steam contract somewhere, this is going to affect you as well. You know, increased blowdown rates due to silica breaks, those type of things, that, that's going to cost us money. And I've actually seen one of those accounts come through. Um, implications to the rest of the mill, uh, demon water is frequently used elsewhere, whether or not it's admitted. Um, a lot of times it gets used on critical water locations, uh, blow line refiner seals, flush water for CLO2 generators, um, any sort of uh, instrument that they view as critical. I've seen it used on demineralizer water, um, flow transmitter purges, uh, density transmitter purges. Um, it'll be used in a temperation water frequently and like in the VAPS or low pressure steam over at the paper machine. So this demon water is traveling all over the mill location and frequently will be coming back at your return condensate, uh, as an additional stream from that a temperation water or mixed in with seal water, other locations. So making sure that the, the customer understands where their demon water is going is very critical as well. Uh, occasionally you'll have offsite customer use. So I know one of our locations we have demon, we generate demon water and send it to other locations for use. So making sure that, stream is 
up to a certain specification is very important because there's additional financial implications to make sure that those other customers are satisfied. So we kind of cover this. Well, why do they need our help? Uh, frequently, right, mills are understaffed. We've seen it everywhere. One of the first locations that stops getting focused on is the demineralizers because they run. You don't frequently have just flat-out breaks. As long as water is getting produced, nobody seems to really care. Uh, it's neglected from a vendor area as well. Very infrequently will you see a vendor for resin or demineralizers or anything come in and do any sort of service. That's a, that's a much more, we sell you the resin, you guys take care of it, let us know when you need another drum. So it opens a door for us to, to really provide a value and some cost savings for uh, CI that doesn't drop our chemical usage. It's a, it's a win-win for both us and the facility. And a lot of times, you know, with the understaffing and the turnover, there's a lack of training or understanding about the demineralizers. Um, you know, what's good resin? What makes the difference between buying quote-unquote cheap resin versus good resin? How does a demineralizer work? What are you actually looking for in it? Um, and we can help them out there with some of the training we've, we've had. So what are some of the steps we can do to help these guys? Um, a lot of this is just gathering data. Um, there should be a vessel design that's going to tell you exactly how much resin, what pressure drop you should see across it. Um, combined with what resin they have in there, you should be able to pretty much calculate the theoretical capacity of the unit with, uh, with your water wrap analysis that you have set up. Um, that's everything you need going through and looking at their regeneration procedure, just having them write it down or having an operator pull up the procedure that shows how much flows of all the acids, caustics, backwash, rinse volumes, um, gather that up. And then if you have a on-site data historian, um, which almost all of the pulp and paper mills do at this point, uh, having them help you set up a, a pie or park view to track uh, run lengths and mileage would be another great data gathering step. <clears throat> Excuse me there. So you can use all that to calculate their theoretical capacity and then compare it to where they currently are. Um, I think my next slide, I'm going to skip one slide here, or I guess a couple. So we did this at a customer site, um, the one we're working at currently, and based on their anticipated run volume, we figure they should be getting about 860,000 gallons before break, ballpark. Uh, currently, we're getting about 425,000 to 450,000 before we break with much higher silica leakage than what's anticipated. So we're about 50% of what the anticipated run volumes are for these units. Um, We've actually brought this to the to the mill as our CI goal to help them with it for the year. Um, we figure that uh, it's worth about 
150,000 just to get them up to a 500,000 gallons per uh, per regeneration target um, by doing a few easy things that we'll talk about here. So the first thing we've helped them start with is uh, going through some elution studies. Um, and it's really just helping them monitoring the efficiency of the regeneration by you know, looking at your effluent quality on the uh, regeneration there. Uh, we've already found a couple things for them. Um, we found units that are throwing the uh, regenerate very, very quickly. Told them, hey, we should take a look at this unit, open it up, and it's 16 inches short on resin. Or eight or ten inches short on resin on that unit. So, very very simple things. Um, you can find some very quick payback on these. Um, another thing you'll want to gather is the resin spec sheet. Um, if you don't, if they don't have the spec sheet of what resin they have in there, um, you at least need to know what resin it is. The resin supplier should be able to send you the the data sheet that has all the typical characteristics on it. Um, it's about a six to eight page document um, covering everything from capacity to bed expansion to regeneration concentrations and flows that you're going to want to go through and pressure drops. Uh, to sit down and calculate all that will probably take you about an hour total. And then once you've got it, it, it's not going to change unless they change resins. Um, this is just some more of the, uh, the resin spec sheet that you'll have on there. A very important thing to notice or to note for them is the physical form and appearance. Um, what color is it? I've, uh, I've seen in the past people open up something um, and uh, think they're opening up an anion resin and actually we're opening up cation resins and the one thing that the operators keyed on was the color of the resin beads. Um, once the resin's been in a unit, it can change colors based on iron and total organics and, and all those types of things causing some contamination. But making sure you get the right resin in the right unit to start with is very important and just making sure the operators know the color of the beads that it should be when they're pumping it in will get you uh, far there and uh, if your if your customer is looking to uh, buy new resin make sure they're buying it in the correct form um, you can buy it in the uh, chlorine form or in the uh, OH form which is basically the regenerated or the non-regenerated form something I think it, this this resin it shows there's a 20% difference could be up to a 20% difference in the uh, volume of buying the uh, regenerated form. So you're basically paying to, uh, pay an extra to have them regenerate it for you. Um, just a, another tidbit to help share with the customer to help get that credibility on your, on your side. Uh, something else on the spec sheet that you'll see is they will uh, basically lay down how they want that regeneration to be done on the unit. Um, sometimes the, uh, the facilities will start adjusting the way regenerations are done based on necessity from lack of water in the past, uh, failure of caustic pumps or acid pumps, 
um, various types of things, and they can kind of drift away from what the recommendations are. There may be a reason, and you want to understand the reason they've drifted if it's a true limitation. But if they've just drifted because we did it this way five years ago and then we adjusted again and again and again for no apparent reason, it would be worth coming back to what the, uh, the steps are. And, and another thing we've seen is they set up the regeneration based off of resin type A, and they've switched resin to resin type B now, and uh, it calls for different caustic injections, different flow rates on the backwash, different service flows. Um, so as they go through those replacement processes, it's good to kind of help them monitor these spec sheets. Um, so with those regeneration spec sheets, you can go through their regeneration and compare it to just give a few recommendations of, hey, this is the book says you should be at, you know, 180 gallons per minute of uh, backwash versus 150 to get that bed expansion. I mean, that's an easy, easy recommendation just by reading the manual and handing it to them to help kind of get some credibility on what we're doing here. Uh, this was just another uh, another screenshot of what we were helping them with far as caustic concentrations and um, pressure drops across the unit. So this was one of our recommendations that we gave to the site um, to sit down and after just reading through the spec sheets, going through what the books called for as far as where they were at versus where they should be, um, Increasing the slow rinse volume and decreasing the fast rinse volume on those five anion units um, is potentially worth, I think, about $90,000 in increased flow or increased <coughs> mileage by not spending so much time rinsing. They... Uh, they rinse to a time versus a conductivity. So they may hit the conductivity at 10 minutes and they'll keep rinsing for another 50 minutes using up resin capacity. Um, we are in the process of making all these changes and then we had our uh, annual outage. So we don't have a lot of data yet to show the uh, customer on the, on the change. Um, so that's still pending, but some other just very, very simple, recommendations for them, you know, have the operator's document hand test on the conductivities after the rinses, uh, top off resins, um, and then we're going to start looking at actually doing some resin samples. Uh, if your customer doesn't know how old their resin is, that's a bad sign. That means it's probably very old in the uh, six-plus-year <laughs> range. Um and resin capacity is going to very much depend facility to facility on how long it's going to last. Up here in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of the facilities, we can get six to seven years out of it just because of the conditions of the water. Um, I can't speak for the southeast down there. Scott maybe will know or someone else can chime in, but I've heard two to three years in some facilities is about all you'll get out. Anyone have any? experience down there 
that's about right. Two to three years. I mean, it's going to depend on the hardness for the cats and then silica. We run into some silica yep. issues every now and then, but I'd say that's pretty close. Yeah. And that can, that can vary wide, wildly depending upon how you, how you operate the units as well. Yep. Yeah. Do you have good pre-filtration? Are you uh, letting them run to break, or are you pulling them early? Those types of things. Is that what you're referring to, Scott? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that, especially like on the. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, so this was just the uh, the actual financials that we calculated for the uh, change in the um, the rents length and time. Um, again. We figured you could get about 22,000 more gallons that you're using to uh, demineralize water versus wasting it rinsing, and that was about $100,000 for the year in caustic and acid savings. Uh, so some best practices just to do a quick check on with your customer um, make sure you review with them that they confirm they pull the correct units out of service by doing a hand check um, a quick pH conductivity check for a cation uh, a pH or preferably a silica check for the anion I've actually seen back in my previous life one of my operators pulled out the wrong unit put it immediately in the region without checking and we only had four units and needed two of them to run so he now had two units out of service just like that because he put the wrong unit in the region immediately um, we almost ran out of demon water solely because people weren't doing a simple hand check he didn't he didn't have the time to do a silica check um, check conductivity before putting the train or unit back in service um, just because you rinsed it down doesn't mean that it was effectively rinsed down there could have been something wrong with the backwash or the uh, regeneration causing or the unit could have not been regenerated we've seen that happen a few times uh, in the last month here people put units in that they thought were regenerated and someone had just reset the mileage counter on them um, so making sure to pass on to check conductivity. Um, this has been a new one. I, I didn't see, uh, I haven't seen people not do this, but confirm the backwash. Um, water has different density at different temperature. And as your river temperature, go ahead. Hello? No. Confirming the backwash, making sure you've got not blowing all your beads out is uh, very important. Um, if you get a big swing in your influent water temperature, uh, we've seen backwashes do nothing. The backwashes dump half of a unit in resin out. Um, so helping them set up a chart showing what the flow rate should be on your backwash at some common temperatures of the uh, influent water is very helpful. Did someone have a question on that one? I think that was just somebody inadvertently chiming in, Bryce. Or... No. 
kicking off a mute or something, probably. And then uh, confirming your regenerate strength. Um, A lot of places have gone to these automated regeneration systems where they hit regenerate and it runs. Um, If there's not a handshake going back manually doing a balme or something, uh, if their conductivity probe or whatever they're using to automatically control that regenerate goes off of calibration, they may be losing significant amount of capacity just by not feeding the acid and caustic that they suspect they're feeding. And then some good uh, other checks. You know, hey, Bryce, have them annually inspect the you. Yes. I will say for that, I've, I've done regeneration studies on all the demons at one of my sites. And, you know, they have, we want to be at 4%, 2%, and 4%, whatever, or even the caustic concentration. I think I found... Yep. Uh, between the four trains, so, you know, eight total beds, I think I found at least six of them were not at the right concentration at particular points in time. So you're right. Their system says, oh, yeah, we need you know, however much caustic, however much acid. They don't ever go back and check. And I actually also found that they were using the wrong bomb chart. They are using one at a different temperature. So, again, you know, your densities and everything are going to be different. And we, we went around and around for months until we showed them that they were using the wrong one and they did see an an improvement. So that's a good point. Yep. Yeah. I've seen the same Uh, thing that David's seen two of my sites where it's out, out pretty consistently. So when I'm there and the guys are doing the regions, it's just a good idea to pop it and do a manual Bome for them. And if it's out, just kind of point it, point it out to the operators because some are better than others at checking. Uh, The other thing on the silica too, for checking them, at my one site that I deal with, um, <coughs> uh, one of the things they were seeing high silica in the feed water, but nothing was breaking on conductivity, and they don't have silica analyzers on on, like, on a common outlet or anything. So what I actually had the operators do was every 50,000 gallons or as close to as they could uh, for the trains was run silica tests, and we actually built a silica chart to show when the units were actually breaking, and then they started pulling them to the silica breaks instead of instead of letting them run the conductivity like they were seeing dramatic decrease in the boilers. Like they were seeing silicas in their boilers up in the thirties and they have a turbine iron at 900 pounds. So it's completely unacceptable. So it took a lot of work to get them back down and now we're down, down under two consistently. Um, those is one of the things to, to look for when you're doing it too. That's another good one. Hey, Bryce, this is Jim uh, Meredith. Uh, we just worked yeah. on a pro- – can you hear me? Yep. Oh, we just worked on a project at a at an IP mill where they had organic fouling on uh, on their resin, and they were getting uh, – they really had some bad cation that was causing high sodiums to strip silica off their anions. So they made the assumption because of lack of experience and lack of uh, – uh, you know, the, the veterans that you talked about early, they assumed that the fouling was causing the anion to run short, so they kept increasing caustic to the point that they're feeding twice as much caustic as they needed to for one regeneration. So we did a quick uh, mass balance for them and told them if they just cut their caustic 20%, which is still a gross overfeed, but if they were to cut it 20%, they would save a quarter million dollars a year. 
and have no difference in run length. And then when they changed the cations, they would get their full run length that they were expecting and uh, save another $250,000 a year on costing. Yeah, the numbers are, are big when you start talking caustic. And the main thing is is when they see silica, they assume that it's a problem with the anion, but if they're not watching the sodium, the anion could be falsely represented as a poor run when it's really the cation creating that problem. Yeah, that's a very good point. And one other thing I've seen, you know, I haven't been in the industry for as long as like Jim has, but uh, most places that I've been up here have walked away from doing uh, brine squeezes on their uh, their anions. Um, if not on a regular basis, some of them don't even do it at all now. I don't have it on here, but if uh, if you're starting to see some decreased capacity on their anions, re recommend a brine squeeze if uh, if it's appropriate. I mean it. It can make a difference for these units. Um, help them get some get some resin life back out to at least uh, get them set up um, to uh, change resin. Because uh, I know a lot of places have gone away from even keeping resin on hand. Um, they just order it when they're coming up to an outage, and they don't keep a full stock of a unit on site anymore uh, due to accounting reasons that's a great recommendation uh, Bryce that's a fantastic recommendation and and those squeezes aren't hard for them to do themselves we have procedures out there if you contact Rick Bohannon and Bob Glover they've got procedures that they wrote for their mill in Georgia on how to do it inside the vessel without damaging the vessel and um, this particular mill was paying RTI to do their brine squeezes to the tune of $20,000 a unit. So there, there's a lot of money for them to save if they just try to do something as simple as that by themselves. They can do it. It's not hard. Yeah. And just a little addendum to that, though. Um, sometimes, depending upon the severity of the organic fouling, uh, those brine squeezes, it may require consecutive brine squeezes on a on a particular resin bed in order to completely clean it. So I've I've seen in the past where sometimes five or six consecutive uh, evolutions of the brine squeeze before the before you stop getting um, organics off of the resin. So just just a little tidbit to keep in mind. Yeah, when you're doing it, you just got to make sure, like, when you're doing when you're doing the brine squeeze, if you're seeing it coming out black, like a heavy black for the whole thing, chances are it's going to need another brine squeeze. What I've worked with with some of the sites is they keep doing it until when they're doing their final squeezes. If it comes out kind of a tea color, you know you've got most organics eluded by that point, and you're good to finish up. Yeah. And then some, sometimes if it, if it's you know becomes an issue, you can uh, you can do it yourself. Or I'm not sure if we do it anymore. I was actually at a different place, but you can make yourself a little pilot system with a sample of the fouled resin and and do it in a 
do it in a flask and, and see what kind of uh, results you get from one versus two versus three uh, squeezes. You can eat, you know, go through the steps of doing it and, and even look at the resin under a microscope yourself. But just, 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 uh, you know, ahead of time, know what you're in for when you start doing the brine squeeze on the actual unit. Yeah, the more information you can give the mill as far as, hey, I think it's going to take four or five of these, yeah. uh, the more likely they are to continue to work through it. You tell them it's going to take one and you're six brine squeezes in and starting to finally see <laughs> yeah. something, uh, they may be a little less willing to continue to try to do that. Yeah, because you, you, right, it's a managing expectations type of thing, and you don't want to you don't want to tout to the customer, hey, do a, do a single brine squeeze on this unit, and you're you're going to see all these grand benefits. When in fact, you know, and then you do do that single brine squeeze, and it's and it's not complete, it's not sufficient. You don't see you don't see market improvement when you put it back online. It it, it can work against you and destroy credibility. Yeah. So just kind of wrapping up here. Um, so demon optimization, a couple of reasons to do it, help build some credibility. And typically if you have, typically it's a very high CI potential. And if you have CI tied to anything in your uh, contract or expectations in the facility, um, it's a good one to go after. Uh, things to get started, a water analysis, the resin spec sheets, and then as much information as you can gather from the customer. Um, some additional training uh, that's out there. Applications, guys. I know Scott and uh, Marshall have helped me a lot with some stuff that we've had going on out here at Nippon. Uh, Drew Principles of Industrial Water Treatment that I misspelled there. Uh, that's got a lot of information in it um, about design and generalities. And then there's actually some case histories in Acumen um, where people have put in some CI uh, at a few facilities for um, op demon optimization. So you missed and one. I think that's all I had. You missed one. The field services manual. The field services manual field has services manual. an excellent um, section on how to do an elution study for just any type of uh, situation, both demon and just, you know, if you're looking at a sodium zeolite unit. And it's got steps and charts and the whole ball of wax. Brought up a lot of good, good points. Bryce, great job on that. Thank you for attending the Boiler Podcast. We hope that you found the information useful. Please be sure to check the technical training site within IWT for any other resources and information you may need.